Welcome to Lead On Purpose. I'm James Lachlan, former seven-time world champion musician and now executive coach to global leaders and high performers. In every episode, I bring you an inspiring leader or expert to help you lead your life and business on purpose. Thanks for taking the time to connect today and investing in yourself. Enjoy the show. How much time do you invest in your brain? Well, look, our brain dictates so many things. It's our largest asset. We've got to look after it, right? But often we're putting things on our skin and we're doing all these other things that care for our bodies, but our brain dictates so much. I came across a product a wee while ago called Flow State, and it's made such a difference. And look, they offer functional mushrooms that sharpen cognition. They really boost energy and definitely strengthen immunity. And they actually use uh, one of their key ingredients is lion's mane, right? So lion's mane is popular among really peak performing athletes and those wanting an edge. It's known as the brain mushroom. And it's currently being studied extensively for its nerve growth factor potential as a means to ease the symptoms of Alzheimer's and for treating inflammation in the body. Now, look, the thing I love about these products They don't taste like mushrooms. You can mix them in with your tea. They're a great replacement for coffee. But I actually love the PM mushroom blend, the evening one. It really helps me sleep. And to know that my brain is getting extra nutrients is just next level. The one thing that's really important for me is what's in there. So they've tested heavily at Hill Laboratories for heavy metals, pesticide residue, microbials, and also at Massey University for active compounds. So I urge you, if you love your brain and you want to go the extra mile to nurture it, head on over to flowstate.nz and you can use the coupon code LEADONPURPOSE to get 15% off. I don't know about you, but sometimes I get home And I think, what am I eating tonight? It's the last thing I want to do. I don't know what to cook. I don't know what's in the cupboard or in the fridge. And it often leads to poor choices like ordering some takeaways. So recently, Caroline and I started eating green dinner table. And it's absolutely amazing. After a long day when I'm knackered, I know that when I get home, there's going to be a great recipe and all the ingredients I need right there in the fridge. And look, I absolutely love it. I've been doing it for several months and it means I don't have to think at the end of the day. And I just know that I'm going to get good, nutritious, wholesome food. And look, it's plant-based, which has so many benefits. So if you're a meat eater, perhaps you might want to start on maybe just three, like a three-day plan. So you've got three evening meals for you and your partner or you and your family, depending on what option you want to go for. But the food is delicious. It's so nutritious and it means we don't need to think And as leaders of families, teams, and organizations, what we put in our bodies is just so crucially important. So I urge you to go and check it out. And I want to give you 20% off your first order. So you can go to greendinnertable.co.nz and use the coupon code PURPOSE. Golden, The Power of Silence in a World of Noise. This is a book you're going to want 
to get. Whether you listen, whether you download it, whether you get a hard copy, it's incredible. It goes from the West Wing of the White House to San Quentin's death row, from Ivy League brain labs to underground psychedelic circles, all to explore the meaning of silence and the art of finding it in any situation. One of the co-authors, Lee Martz, joins us today. Lee is a leadership and collaboration consultant with organizations including Harvard, Google, and IKEA. She has led a multi-year program teaching experimental mindsets to multi-generational teams at NASA. Lee is also a longtime student of pioneering researchers and practitioners of the ritualized use of psychedelic medicines in the West. Sit back and enjoy the show. Lee, a massive welcome to the Lead on Purpose podcast. Thanks for having me, James. It's good to be oh, here. Such a pleasure. I'm very excited. When I when I seen the golden, the book, I was like, yes, I need to talk to you. So before <laughs> we get into that exciting stuff, I just want to ask you a question. When you think of leadership, what comes to mind? Yeah, that's a big one. Uh, and it's actually changed and evolved over time. I think right now what I'm really attuned to is a leader who really knows themselves, who's really um, attuned to themselves, but is also good at sensing the talents and the yearnings and the um, needs in a system and really helps leverage people um, in their gifts that may be way outside of their own. And I think that's really something that indicates to me a leadership, a leader is really mature is that they can nurture other leaders that have super different talents and that they can really sense the needs of a system and um, motivate them in that way. So it really takes, it's no small thing to be a great leader. I think, you know, especially for the long haul. Mm. So that's what comes to my mind. Yeah. Thank you. No, I really love yeah. that. And you're right. I think there are moments where we can show great leadership, but to do that over a sustained period of time, I mean, that's truly a challenge. Yeah, that is actually what I'm in the midst of working with. Just, a, you know, great leaders, great founders who are really trying to create something that's, that long outlasts them because the need is still there. Say they're removing toxic chemicals from our products and, and our homes. It's like, how does that organization live without just that one person being the face and the um, hard work of that? It, you have to really activate a whole team. Yeah. Mm. It's and a beautiful thing. We think of leadership. Sometimes it's a title, it's CEO, it's director, it's the captain of the ship, but really from what I hear you saying, it's more so it's ongoing. It's never ending. It's, it's constant growth and curiosity. Absolutely. And you really want to see it in all levels, you know, and every level that there's some ability to express and lead in some way. I think that's where we really see an organization shine. Yeah. And do something 100%. different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. You're right. Great question. Now, 
we are in a world that, you know, if we, we rewind 50 years, there's no digital technology, there's no pings, there's no dings, there's no you know, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, live streaming, uh, there's none of that. But nowadays, we've got so much around us, and the demand for our attention is just huge. So you have written an incredible book along with your co-author, and that book really dives deep into the fact that we are in a very noisy, distracted world. What led you to the point of being able to write that book and being inspired to write that book? Mm-hmm. Well, at first, I think we had to be completely despondent about the state of the world. <laughs> so in other words, I think we kind of felt flat on our faces first, um, felt a sense of desperation to break through the noise. So Justin, my um, Justin Zorn, my co-author and partner in crime, was working in D.C. as the legislative director for three members of Congress and really quite in the thick of things there. And as you mentioned, it's um, louder than it's ever been. And I think Capitol Hill is one of the loudest environments one could be in. And then um, I was also working and, and still working on really complex issues that feel very urgent. So they have that charge of of, oh my gosh, it's, you know, we're working on climate change, we're working on toxic chemicals, you know, we've got to do everything we can, we got to squeeze it all in. So there's a lot of urgency compounding the importance that we all feel. And so both of us had really hit our limits with that more, the answer wasn't feeling like more meetings, more talking, uh, just a different way to cleverly, you know, depict something or more, you know, I don't know, it just didn't feel like more faster was doing any good. And um, so we both have the same intuition that the place to look would be in silence, that maybe the answers would come from beyond and maybe between all the mental stuff, that it wouldn't come from more thinking and talking and Lord knows not more meetings and more PowerPoints. <laughs> I'm with you on that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's interesting, the idea of silence. You know, I've got a client who's heading to India for two months to see his family. And he says, James, for 10 days, I'm going on a silence retreat, a meditation, and uh, I won't speak. And uh, um, so I'm very curious about it. And there's a deep part of me that wants to do exactly the same thing. I'm a talker. I like to ask questions. I love to engage with people. But actually, I'm very much an introvert. And I love my own space. And I live way far from the city. And I love to look at the ocean. And So for me, silence is uh, almost essential to just thrive and survive. So What's your experience around the root of silence in our in our civilization? What are the, the cultures that have embraced silence that have really helped them? Mm, really, so many. I mean, in fact, in this book, we're really arguing that this is an innate human understanding, that we need downtime, that we need quiet, that there's value in that time. And so one one place we look, for example, is this shows up in all the world's religious traditions. Um, science is proving it out. I mean, more, more um, recently, we look at neuroscience, and we look at just physical science and how it, how the impact of noise is um, so great, not just on our ears, but on our entire bodies, and um, how silence is restorative and healing even. Um, so there's been you know, conventional wisdom uh, has known this for some time, the science is catching up. We also look at um, ancient Japanese principle called ma, uh, ma, M-A, transliterated. The kanji characters is a 
temple gate. Imagine a temple gate with slats through it and the golden sunlight pouring through. So it is this uh, word that means emptiness, nothingness. It's also uh, um, defined as silence. Although our favorite definition is pure potentiality. So in those spaces, like you're describing, looking out in the ocean, the time of reflection, even what your um, client is about to go do, that is just like, it's not nothing that's happening in that time, right? It's pure potentiality. And that sentiment is found throughout um, Japanese aesthetics, for example. You look at haiku poetry, what is said is as important as what is unsaid. If you look at ikibana flower arrangement, you can imagine the branches and the petals that the empty space around that arrangement is as important as the petals and uh, leaves themselves. Scroll painting, same thing, the swoosh of the paintbrush is, is yes, it's like that's part of it, but so is the empty space that that um, it, it's presented on. So that balance of the content and the emptiness or the content and the pure potentiality is something that we sorely lack right now in our environment. We're little seduced by content, I would say, a little uh, transfixed on that doing and saying and, you know, writing and posting and all the, and responding those actions and, and, and not giving enough space for the reflective space, the space for things to emerge. And that's really the kind of work I'm doing in complexity um, in spaces of complexity. That's where innovation takes place. That's where novel thinking takes place. And if you're just just going for the quick reaction, you're going to get conventional thinking. You're not going to get new, interesting ideas, and you're not going to include a whole lot of people who tend to be maybe introverts, maybe it's just slower kinesthetic processors. You're not going to get the kind of edgy, interesting ideas. So you're working, you're, you know, you're not doing your best thinking in those situations to point to that in particular. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's really powerful. And I really do resonate with that. So for the last 30 years, I've been a drummer. And often if I have a drum line and people are, you know, people are playing and all of a sudden we stop, that's where the most impact for everyone. They're like, whoa, like then you come back in. It's like that that piece of silence where you guys didn't play, that was the most powerful piece of the music. I was like, yeah, but we didn't play. Like we did nothing. Like, yeah, that was it. We enjoyed that bit the best. Yes. <laughs> right. Yeah, musicians never have trouble with this, right? It's like, what would music be without those silent spaces in between, which is also the ma, the pure potentiality and that juxtaposition of beautiful sound. Like there's a great um, quote by uh, Susan Sontag that great art leaves silence in its wake. And that's what I hear you saying. You're speaking to that, that like you're in the moment, you're feeling it. And then the silence allows you to really appreciate it, to turn, like to just recognize with that incredible moment of people playing together. And that's an old technology, if you will, that trance and dance and making music and improv. I mean, it's like, that's old technology. That's what I mean. This is not a new hack. This is not a newfangled idea. We know how to be with silence. We know the beauty that it can bring into our lives and we're sorely lacking it. Yeah, we really are. hundred percent. It's, we had an earthquake. Well, several thousand earthquakes here in Christchurch uh, in 2011. Oh, you're in Christchurch. Okay. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And so interesting. I'd never been in an earthquake. And in Ireland, we'd, we'd 
talked about it in school and being told what to do, but Ireland never experiences earthquakes. So it was in New Zealand. It was in the middle of the night. The house was, you know, it was a seven point something earthquake and the house was going nuts. But when that earthquake stopped, that silence was deafening. Like it was profound. It was incredible. I'll never forget that moment was like, whoa, the earth has stood still. But it was, I think, the contrast with the incredible noise, the, the, the earth moving and shaking to nothing. It's like, wow, the whole city, the whole island essentially had stood still for a moment. And that's something I'll never forget. It was, it was really, really powerful. What do you think for you was going on in there? We, we, I ask because we open the book with this question, what's the deepest silence you've ever known? And I'm not saying that's your very deepest, but it sounds like it was up there for you. What's the deepest silence you've ever known? Like, And what, what was that experience like for you? What changed being mm-hmm. in there? I'm trying to think what the deepest silence would be. Mm-hmm. I think probably um, I'd just moved to New Zealand. Um, I was in my early 20s, and uh, I'd been running a, a rehearsal, a music rehearsal. It was probably 9 p.m., and my phone rang, and I answered it. It was my dad in Ireland, and uh, he says, your granddad just died. And that just that moment, it was it was true, yeah, deep silence, deep reflection. Um, I felt really connected. Mm. Um, yeah, there was a very deep emotion. It was sadness, but also it was joy. It's like I had, he was the greatest granddad ever. Like I really connected with with him throughout my life. But yeah, it was a really powerful emotional moment. So I felt like not only was there silence between me and my dad mm-hmm. after him telling me that news, but there was this strong emotional experience combined with that silence. So it wasn't silence and I was numb. It was mm-hmm. silence and I was deeply charged in, in an emotional way. So yeah, I would say that that was probably the biggest moment for me. I love how you describe that. And that is essentially what we found as we, so we wrote this article for Harvard Business Review back in 2017. It was really focusing on auditory noise, just the loudness of the world, which is, by the way, if people are wondering, is it louder? Yes, it's exponentially louder. We use uh, the proxy indicator of emergency sirens to look at uh, how that those decibel levels have increased in order to alert people in these, you know, they, it needs to break through the din, right? It needs to get our mm-hmm. attention. So in the last hundred years, those alarms have gotten six times louder wow. than they were in the past. So yes, it's louder auditorily. We were interested in that. And we were interested in this idea, like your client about, you know, what would it be like to even just not talk for a day, to just not be giving our, you know, to not be in that constant state of reactivity and needing to post and needing to speak and needed, you know, to re- to rest those mental reflexes. So anyway, we wrote a very simple, short article for Harvard Business Review about those ideas and um, it went viral. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, okay, there's something to look at here. And we started asking people, interviewing people, neuroscientists, politicians, poets, executives, uh, a whirling dervish, a man incarcerated on death row, all sorts of amazing people. What's the deepest silence you've ever known? And they pointed us so much further than these auditory moments, right? They took us to things like you described, like births and deaths and moments of awe. 
and moments of profound, you know, connection to nature, to other people. Maybe it's auditorily loud, like maybe they're on the dance floor, like I was this morning, and it's really loud, but you're just, you know, you kind of lose yourself in the best way. So as we started on that journey and getting getting those answers, I found that there's actually an emerging area of science, a kind of a cross-scientific area, looking at self-transcendent experiences where one can feel kind of a, sh- a shrinking of the egoic small self, the, the part of ourselves that's always telling us stories about ourselves, but almost an expansion of self too, because you, you know, even what you just described with your grandfather and your father and feeling that and these are my words but sort of that connection to ancestry to the profundity of that moment how it was going to shift your whole system how fortunate you were the gratitude that was in there probably the very few words that you and your father needed to convey the like how huge this was all in like that moment all in silence and how that changed you and that that was the thing to come up like so this doesn't require 10 days of going away. This book isn't for people running off to retreat, although they might enjoy it, and I hope they would. It's really for those of us in the thick of things, in the fullness of this life, and living our lives and just appreciating that silence, making mm. more space for it. Yeah. That's amazing. And in terms of the, if we don't, engage with this silence and really make space for that what's the potential consequence or outcome if we constantly just surround ourselves with distraction and noise i say it's it'd be the antithesis of what you're here to do on your podcast like we we're not on purpose Mm. we're not we may not be leading that well we're certainly not on purpose (laughs) so for Justin and I, when we look at this, the importance of this, it's, you know, silence is enjoyable and it brings us all kinds of riches and sense of connection, but it helps us discern what is noise in our lives and what is the true signal that which really bears our attention. Cause in that noise, there are some things that really need our attention. <laughs> um, so without that, it's hard to attune to and the louder it gets, the harder it gets. Like our instruments, if you you know, I kind of use that type of language. Are the instrument of, that is sensing things in the world? It gets kind of cluttered with all the you know all the interference and all the static. And so I'll use an example. There's a um, gentleman who comes in early in the book to describe this, the importance of this. His name is Cyrus Habib. So Cyrus Habib. The son of an Iranian immigrant uh, was blinded by a childhood disease at age eight, but still went on to go to Yale and was a Rhodes Scholar and all, I mean, just incredible achievements. And after he learned how to read Braille. So he climbed the ladder here in politics and became the lieutenant governor in the second ranking uh, office in the state of Washington by the age of 35. I don't know, I'll say young 30s. I'm not entirely, I'm not remembering the exact date. But by the time he was, you know, in his mid 30s, people were thinking, okay, he's going to run for senator. He's going to run for governor for sure. He's amazing. You know, he's just such a heartful politician, really a rare, rare breed. But when we spoke with him, he had decided um, not to run for Senate, not to run for governor, but to become a Jesuit novice. Wow. And yeah, to take a step up, step 
back. And he says, you know, yes, politics was loud and yes, it was hard, but I'm not trying to escape here. He was just feeling the sense that he was, he was incapable of discerning what was true, the true signal from his heart is how he described it. So he decided to, to take those vows and go into a 30-day silent meditation where what did he notice? He noticed how loud not the outside environment had been and was no longer, or the informational environment, the dialing for dollars and all the stuff politicians do in this country, but how loud his internal chatter was. So that was the loudest thing. And he was constantly he was like worried. What will people think? And is this crazy? Am I nuts here? And, da, da, da. and so he spent, if you can imagine, like 30 days of listening to that and got really clear that, no, this is where I really want to be. So he will go, no doubt, back out into service. And he's, you know, to the Jesuits are known for that. So he'll probably come back out into politics, but with a much clearer sense of what he's here, what his purpose is and aligning to that. Because his his devotion all along has been to um, you know anti poverty work and all kinds of great work that we could get behind, but he wasn't feeling like he was quite do you know he's getting distracted a little bit. And we all might you know a lot of us I think there are times where we're just like a little bit off from our real purpose, but a couple of degrees you're on a different continent in navigation. Mm-hmm. So you got you want to watch it and really tune in and get get aligned in that way. So. We look to Cyrus Abib to kind of help us get the taxonomy of noise. So we look at auditory noise, informational noise. So auditory, that's what's coming in our ears. Informational, that which is usually coming at us through our screens. And you mentioned the binging and the pinging. And oh my gosh, so the the past CEO of uh, Google estimates that from the dawn of civilization to 2003, we generate as much information every two days as we did from the dawn of civilization to 2003. I believe we should all be taking shots. Yes, you heard me right. Every morning, I take a double shot of Nutrient Rescue. Reason being, well, the harmful Western diet of heavily processed food combined with our busy, stressful lives means that 60 to 70% of people are missing out on their five a day of fruit and veg. This micronutrient per diet has contributed to the modern epidemics of obesity, diabetes, heart disease, cancer, and dementia. The studies prove it. Look, 87% of people who take the Nutrient Rescue shots reported feeling better within the first month. That's because 100% of the ingredients in Nutrient Rescue products are 100% grown in New Zealand. But look, don't take my word for it. Give it a try yourself. Using the code PURPOSE, you will get a 15% discount. So head over to NutrientRescue.nz and that 15% discount goes across any of their superfoods including their starter pack so cheers to you joining me for some shots oscar de la renta put it perfectly fashion is about dressing according to what's fashionable style is more about being yourself and that's one thing i always try to do is try to be myself whether i'm interviewing a former head of state hanging with my family on the weekend or working with some of my incredible clients. I try to always just be myself as much as possible. And part of that is dressing accordingly. But every now and then, a special occasion will call for some special fashion. And I am by no means any expert on fashion. And that's why I'm delighted to partner with Munns. Munns is back and it's better than ever. Located in the beautiful 
Tannery Emporium on Garland Road in Christchurch. It offers a huge range for men, with suits for hire and sale, ties, jeans, waistcoats, hats, sunglasses and more. So for all of your menswear needs, head along and check it out at muns.co.nz. That's like shocking. Yeah. In the United States, we take in something like five times more information as the past generation did. So we're cramming ourselves with information, but it's also grabbing for our attention, as you pointed out. So it's like aggressive. (laughs) And then we look at, well, what does that do to our internal landscapes? What does that do to the soundscape in here, (laughs) in our minds? And Ethan Cross, a professor of um, a professor at University of Michigan, estimates that we listen something like something to 320 State of the Union addresses every day. Now, State of the Union addresses in the United States are probably not that different than <laughs> they are in, in other <laughs> countries, but let's just say they're often very, very long-winded. Yeah. <laughs> and uh yeah, tons of words, tons of promises, very few made to <laughs> follow through on. So um, the issue is like there's feedback loops between all this noise. And that's what we're wanting to cut through, create more permission, more space for us to drop into silence and appreciate the many forms it takes. It may be meditation, which we hit upon as one of the ways, but this is really a non-meditator's guide to getting beyond the noise. We're interested in all the other ways that people find silence in their days. It could be flow flow states, you know, it could be moments of awe. It could be any number of things. I'm very excited to look at some of those. And before we look at some of those uh, options for people, um, I was just thinking about the well-being of today's workforce in the corporate world, the the amount of anxiety, the amount of people taking sick days that are mental health related. So in your studies and research, have you seen connections between all this noise and urgency and are essentially a pandemic of anxiety. Yeah, and that's really how we're we're defining internal noise is that rumination, fixation, anxiety and depression which seems to be quite on the rise. I would say it's a pretty new area of study in terms of the link to the neuroscience, but neuroscientists are interested what are the states in which we are not preoccupied with all that internal chatter? What's happening in the brain when we measure it? What is it? What's is there is there um is the activity of the prefrontal cortex, you know, downregulated, which some people uh hypothesize a, a transient hypofrontality uh Transient hypofrontality is is one of the theories. And then others say, well, this has more to do with attentional networks being firing in a different way. Maybe that's what's happening. And others look at the default mode network being deregulated. And so thanks to a lot of studies that are taking place with meditators, um, with people using mind-expanding drugs um, like psilocybin and uh, another LSD and other things are they're getting to map the brain and and some of what we thought was true like oh when you're taking uh, psilocybin for example it looks like a dreaming brain it's really active it's like actually no the default mode network that's the area of the brain the me network it's sometimes called where we tell our self story of stories about ourselves that area of the brain is actually quite quiet not silent because actually a silent brain 
is a dead brain. So you don't want that. that. (laughs) (laughs) So this is why it's such an interesting area uh, uh, to be looking at is like, what is happening in the brain? What is not happening in the brain? Why is it that it feels silent and quiet to us? And what are some of those activities? So looking at self-transcendent experiences, there are I mentioned uh, flow states. So that's what's so lovely about looking at flow states. I mean, it's hard to measure that because you're usually, you know, like maybe you're on a ball court or maybe you're skiing and there's not the machinery for that yet. But we know like it's a pretty universal experience. Most people know what it's like to be in a state of flow from at least from time to time. You know, some people really know that, that space really well. Other people talk about moments of awe and where you might be looking out some beautiful, vast, you know, landscape, or maybe you're contemplating something like string theory, and you're just like, whoa, another that that sense of self egoic self shrinking, but the sense of interconnectivity to, you know, you're you're getting larger and smaller at the same time, you know, so there's something really beautiful about that. There's something really quietening about that. Also, those are experiences brought about in meditation, maybe through mind expanding drugs, things like that. Um, and mystical experiences, which are also hard to measure because they're usually spontaneous and mm-hmm. you don't tend to have an fMRI on hand when you're becoming one with God. <laughs> it turns out. <laughs> so we look where we can, and it's just a fascinating area. We had so much fun looking into this. Um, what does it mean to be quiet? Quiet is what we think quiet is. And that's one of the things we point the reader and your listeners to is that it doesn't matter what anybody else is doing for their, you know, form of quiet. They may be meditating. They may be not meditating, you know, around where I'm in Berkeley, California, there's a lot of finger wagging. If you're not meditating enough, mostly to ourselves, but it's like, oh, you're not, I should be meditating. I've been meaning to meditate, but forget that. Like, if that's not how you find your silence, don't worry about it. If it's gardening, that then that, perfect. If it's dance, like I just describing in a loud studio, perfect. You know, whatever the way that we find our way is what's important. So that's what this book is all about, is the many, many routes to silence. Yeah, I love that you actually redefine silence and silence is not nothingness and you know, zero sound. It's actually it's, it's finding a place where you're in flow and you're deeply connected. And essentially, you've silenced the distractions of your mind. Yeah, when we look at this, we say silence is the absence of noise, but it's also so much more than that. And it was our interview interviews with people that pointed us in this direction that silence is the absence of noise, but it's also a presence unto itself. Mm. So we turn to all these just brilliant thinkers um, for definitions. And a few of those are like, or uh, Gordon Hempton, he talks about silence as the think tank for the soul. Hmm. Uh, Pierre Shabdakan, who's a Sufi mystic and musician here in the Bay Area, he says, silence is not silent at all. It's teeming with life and joy and ecstasy, but it's quiet of thoughts of the self. It's quiet of foolishness. I love that. <laughs> yeah. That's so powerful. And- it is it is and we just had a blast talking to people with their definitions and that's of course another thing we love for people to find their own way to silence what is silence for you you know what is that that moment you described and thank you by the way for sharing such a such an important moment that's the other thing is that these deepest silences they're pretty profound moments in our lives and very tender 
So, you know, what is happening in that space? I mean, I mentioned there's that sense can be that sense of feeling connected to something way bigger and deeper than this present uh, timeline, you know, the full ancestry, the whole lineage, all the all of those things, and the gift of being uh, raised in a in a kind family with a kind grandfather, like you described. Yeah, yeah, very fortunate, very very fortunate. And I think, you know, I think of say the CEO or the leader, and in the back of their mind, they're going, you know what, I have to be busy and I have to be always doing. And if I just be silent and I, you know, get into flow state and do something that's not work related, I'm going to miss out or I'm going to drop the ball. What's your message to that individual that's almost borderline addicted to work and addicted to urgency? What, what's your message around silence and its place in their role? Yeah, it's sort of a, it's um, in some ways it's twofold. We definitely have to look at our own patterns here, our own habits. I and mean, we are addicted and we can, many of us individually you know, take us, take that into account, seem to be pretty addicted to being busy. And we have a whole chapter that is titled why silence is scary. Because our suspicion, and this is from the inside out, like I said, we're not experts on silence. We've just we're just walking, <laughs> we're walking through this curriculum like everybody. Once we called this in, we sort of had to walk the talk, right? <laughs> so why is silence scary? Why am I resisting this time with myself, with my family, to facing this maybe my career choice, my marriage, my life choices, whatever that is? You know, uh, we honor that that silence can be scary. That the noise, the busyness can be really masking and covering a lot of things that are not working in our lives. So acknowledging that is so. And also there is a system in place in the United States. Anyway, it's the GDP, right? It's the gross domestic product. Everything is driving towards more noise in this country. We don't value a pristine redwood forest. It's only valuable if we cut it up, chop it up and sell it at Home Depot. The same is true of our pristine attention. Unless we cut that up and make turn it into click-throughs and eyeballs on a screen, it's also not valuable to the system. So there's a bit of a both and. There's a personal responsibility and something to investigate for sure. And the system is rigged, <laughs> at least here and in many of the countries where I know you have your listeners. The system is rigged. And so there's something to change on a bigger, broader scale. And that's we, so we in this book look at our individual practices and the practices we might have with coworkers and office and also um, those on at home with loved ones and family and friends, but also how we as a society can honor silence for what it actually gives us, which we believe is, you know, the ability to connect, the ability to get true on our purpose the ability to heal, the ability to reflect, and all of this is so needed these days. So we mm-hmm. miss out on a lot when we don't make time for that. Like yeah. everything, <laughs> everything like that matters. Every leader needs to hear that, that actually the gold is in the silence. Absolutely. So we, I found this time and time again. So I, I mean, I was guilty of, um, I was hired by NASA Goddard Space Flight Center to do some work in their communications for multi-generational teams and to help them with their keeping in touch with their experimental mindset, that they stay nimble, right, in their problem solving, particularly around climate. Um, It was a great honor and pleasure to work with them. And I was scared to death 
when I first got in there. So what did I do? I did, I did this is a total rookie move. I packed the agenda so full that there wasn't even a moment for them to breathe or reflect or object or anything. You know, it was just like two weeks worth of workshop in two days. Just now NASA self-described workforce is self-described 75% introverts. So by the end of day one, they they looked like they'd been through a hurricane. Right. They they were wreck like shells of themselves. <laughs> anyway, by the end of day two, they were just flattened. So I realized that, okay, this is not going to work. Like we want to, <laughs> this is not going to work. So we pulled out all kinds of content. So that was a maless free for all. If we go back to the Japanese term, I was, you know, it was a, there was not a moment of ma. So we really like to encourage people in the workplace to bring in ma. Now, if you think about those types of meetings where you're trying to idea generate, if you can actually build in some time for reflection, maybe it's just for the introverts to do some personal reflection, everybody to to do some personal reflection to make it friendly to the introverts um, and then share ideas, or maybe it's you post ideas um, and have some quiet reflection and even, you know, anonymous kind of, you know, voting and things like that, or sleep on it for a night, come back the next day. If we can add some spaciousness in these kinds of idea generation things, we're going to see much better thinking in the, as the end result. So that should be very tempting to anybody, unless you're going for conventional thinking, which most of us are not, you need some, you need some edge, right? You need some breakthrough. You need some novel thinking. That's how you do it. Um, also looking at our schedules in a day, many of us, especially, oh, you know, now with uh, Zoom, you know, we're going Zoom to Zoom to Zoom to Zoom, you know, and and here we are, we're tethered to these, you know, to these computers. We can't even move about, can't even, you know, quite stretch and, and things like that. So we need to build in time for preparation, for reflection and integration on the other side. You know, we need to do, do things a little differently than we are. So even thinking about just what used to be the the smoke break, right? Bringing in these little moments for resetting, reflecting, connecting to ourselves, connecting to our breath, and just getting a nice glass of water or stepping outside into the rays of the sun and and connecting to the sounds, you know, in the wind, um, you know, birds, you know, bird song, bees. It just even like that can be a reset mentally and can bring a lot to what comes next. Mm-hmm. Really powerful. What what does a day look like or a week look like in your life? What what kind of space do you create in between the noise and in between the commitments of parenthood and your professional career? What, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Well, I really look, and we do this in the book as well, we're looking at micro moments. So there really are these tiny, we have a whole chapter called the healthy successor to the smoke break, where I confess that I was a smoker. And it's not so much that it's that I loved being a smoker. Like I loved, loved, loved the ritual of a deep inhale and a deep exhale, you know, that break built in, in the day. And I was working in crisis, high stress work, right? Crisis uh, shelters for runaway Mm -hmm. youth and um, battered women at different times. So it was a real need to have that moment, but I'm glad I quit. But when I quit smoking, I also quit taking those breaks <laughs> until now, right? Until recently, <laughs> until I realized, oh my gosh, my body can't stand being at a, at a desk for this long. I actually need to move. 
I'm a dancer and a choreographer. Like I actually cannot be tied to a, a desk like this. So movement, little movement, stepping out into the garden, watching bumblebees, things like that. Just like, you know, doesn't have to be big or complicated and definitely doesn't need like rules and tools and of, um, you know, bells and cushions and specialized things, just whatever brings you joy. So those micro moments are pretty important. And then I think there's something there to be just said about really deeper, more immersive practices. So one that I really love, I mentioned Gordon Hempton before, he's the one who defined silence as the think tank for the soul. He talks about taking his to-do list out for a hike. So he has this, um, he has this, I guess he keeps some pretty hefty to-do lists. And if they when they get to a certain length, he's like, okay, I gotta stop. I'm gonna print it out. I'm gonna take it out as far into the woods for him as he goes out into the Ho uh, rainforest in, in Washington state. And it's one of the quietest places on earth. He, according to his, uh, you know, instrumentation and his recordings, which is what he does professionally. So he heads out there and he lets himself be immersed in that quiet and that silence for him. Nature is one of his places of quiet. And after he really feels this you know, the effect of it, he'll take that to-do list out, unfold it, and start slashing all these things that he just doesn't want to do, doesn't feel important from this place. From his desk, he's convinced he has to do it, and it's the most important thing. From there, from the quiet, he sees otherwise. And so the last time we talked to him, he had removed something like five months of work that he swore to us felt really important at his desk, but in that space, not so much. Folds up his list and then hikes back out five months lighter. <laughs> wow, that is golden. <laughs> totally. <laughs> I love it. I need to try so we that. Need, yeah, we need those deeper moments. So not just the micro moments. That's not that's not quite enough. We also need to build some capacity with some to be with ourselves in that place, to be you know, real with what we're actually devoting and putting our time to and what, you know, what that trajectory is. Is it, a, is it, is it on course or is that couple degrees off course? Like I talked about, that's going to send you into a different continent. Mm, <laughs> massively. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I just yeah. want to say for the listener that's listening right now, uh, you're probably on your phone. So please take a moment, get the phone and go to Amazon uh, or whatever book reseller that you, you like to go to. and Download a copy, buy a copy. If you'd prefer to listen on Audible, go to Audible and search for Golden. And it's it's going to do you good. It's going to do yourself, your family, your colleagues, the people that you lead and love. There's going to be gold in the book. Aww. So thank you so much for taking the time to actually create the research, to create the outcomes from the research, to put the book together, to give us access to that. Because we are too noisy, too busy, too distracted to go and find that for ourselves and for you to bring it together in such an incredibly distilled and powerful way. Like I read Ariana Huffington's uh, testimonial. It was just like, wow, mind blowing. And uh, Pema Chodron as well. Like yeah. The who's who of well-being and spirituality, just singing your praises mm. speaks volumes about the quality of your work and the importance of your work. So today I'm inspired after this actually to create some space and I can hear the birds out through the glass, but I'm going to get out there and be with them for a moment. So thank you for that. 
Oh, you're so welcome. Do it, do it. And I didn't mention this, but I just want to give a little shout out for finding those practices with your friends and families. And there's a whole Mm -hmm. section on that. And then really getting deeper into that. What does it mean to do this work together? Those of us who are working in teams and things, because there's a lot of deep work that's missing, a lot of deep, thoughtful you know, work that's missing because we're just getting interrupted all the time. And we can feel that. It's like there's a quality that's not there. So there's some solutions there as well as what we can do as larger communities and society to really value silence. So that's what this book is about, is appreciating appreciating silence and the gifts it brings. Thank you so much for your, you know, your appreciation of it. My pleasure. Absolutely. My pleasure. And I guess one thing I hear a lot from clients and friends who've got kids who are late teens or they're adults just saying, you know what, that time goes so quick. I'm so guilty at times. I was too busy to be present. So I imagine this book and uh, some of the practices within it will allow parents who do have kids that are still kids to create space for deep connection that they can be so proud of when they look back in later years. Absolutely. In fact, Justin and I, so Justin has twins who are almost three and a six-year-old. So we're, we're really not messing around here. Like it is, we're like (laughs) living it, living it in our lives. And I have a teenager and really our kids are some of the best teachers about silence and about quiet. They bring in that childlike wonder, those moments where there's just like, no, you know, there's not that internal chatter going on. They're just appreciating, observing, especially the natural world or reminding, you know, Justin, like, oh, shh, be quiet on this part of the walk, daddy, because this is where the fairies live. Mm-hmm. You know, and it was my daughter's it. idea to be in uh, to be in silence for a day on one of these deep uh, camping trips we did in Alaska. We just didn't talk for a day and watched the puffy clouds. And that was her idea. So kids, kids know their way around silence. Mm-hmm. They actually do. It's beautiful. And talking about kids, I've got just one last question, but um, before we we wrap up, so mm-hmm. if we were to fast forward uh, to the very last day of your life, and you know that it is your last day, and someone very young in your life, maybe it's a grandchild, asks you this question: How do I lead my life on purpose? What advice would you give them? Mm. I feel weepy. Yeah, you're asking me that question. Um, for me, it feels increasingly that it is about giving oneself full permission to do what it takes to to tune in. So there's that space to reflect upon it. So when we're scrambling out there for the answer and leading on purpose, it, it's very confusing, right? It gets very loud and we don't get very far. So really giving oneself full permission to take the time, whatever that looks like. So that may be quiet reflection. That may be following this kind of bizarre area of interest or passion, you know, like no, but you don't know where it's going to lead, but yeah, you know, you're just following that, that, um, that inspiration. So I think there'd be something about that for them just to really follow that energy notice and honor it. And when you're not sure to just give yourself the ability to slow down and listen and tune into what's being asked of you. That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you for sharing your space and your time. I really appreciate it. It's been a joy. Thank you. (laughs) My pleasure. We'll talk again soon.
Thanks for tuning in today and investing in your own personal leadership. Please hit that subscribe button and I'd love if you'd leave me a rating and review. I've got some amazing guests lined up for you in the coming weeks. And leaders, it's that time to get out there and lead your life on purpose.